All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Blake Lovell, and before we dive into Tuesday night's action in SEC baseball, uh, we're going to uh, jump into some quick hitter news items here, uh, and we'll do this uh, on the show when, when things like this uh, pop up. Uh, several noteworthy uh, things being discussed in the world of SEC sports, and we will start with baseball. Uh, eight SEC teams in the top 15 in the new Baseball America poll. Uh, not much of a surprise there. Florida's at number two. Vanderbilt is at number five. Georgia at number seven. Mississippi State at nine. Arkansas at 11. Auburn is at 12. LSU at 13. And Ole Miss uh, at 15. So you have eight SEC teams in the top 15 there. Um, you know, based on how everyone started. I don't think that's a huge surprise for SEC baseball followers. Um, never surprised to see so many teams, uh, you know, ranked uh, this high nationally. Uh, we've come to expect that from this conference year in and year out. And uh, it's early, you know, early. it was just opening weekend. Uh, so I don't think it's time for everyone uh, to start getting upset, which I know I've already seen a little bit of that on social media. Uh, some fan bases are already uh, upset at where their team is ranked. Uh, remember, guys, opening weekend, um, only, you know, three games or so have been played. So uh, I wouldn't get too uh, upset about it just yet. Um, you know, obviously more games will be played here during the week and uh, more action, uh, but it's uh, once again going to be a very, very fun season in SEC baseball. A lot of really good teams uh, without question. And uh, moving to football, uh, the ESPN released its uh, 2020 preseason football power index, the FPI. It's something that uh, we spent a lot of time talking about. Not just during the season, but certainly in the off season as well. And it's uh, something people like to look at. And um, they released their their FPI, as you would imagine. Uh, lots of different opinions on it. Uh, and from an SEC standpoint, uh, you look at the teams that are in it. Alabama is at number four. Um, Texas A&M is at number eight. Georgia ten. Florida is at eleven. LSU, the defending national champions, are at number twelve. Auburn at 15, and Tennessee is at 19. Those are the teams that are inside uh, the top 25, and there are 11 teams total inside the top 50 um, in the the FBI here. And remember, as I sort of just said with baseball, and it's a different sort of scenario, we have to remember baseball is just starting, and so you know games are actually being played. You can start to get a better feel of where these teams maybe should be ranked, where you think they should be ranked um, in terms of comparing them to other teams around the country, as we do every year. And you see uh, this uh, sort of caveat put out by a lot of people you know, who cover sports, who are just fans. On social media, you see it a lot. Remember, we are literally a month removed from the, the national championship game. So uh, a long way to go before uh, I think people should get uh, too upset about uh, an FPI preseason ranking that uh, is you know, many months, seven months before uh, actual games are played. But it's fun. I get it. Uh, it's something where it's going to give us a lot to talk about in the offseason as we dive into uh, each of these SEC football teams. Uh, but it is fun to discuss, and it's fun to look ahead and see potentially where these teams could rank. Uh, the FPI, of course, ESPN's uh, metric. Uh, some people like it. Some people don't like it. Uh, that's nothing new when it comes to, to metrics and these types of things. Uh, that you use to measure teams. Uh, as for, you know, kind of how the top five looks, uh, we mentioned Alabama was at number four. 
Clemson's at number one, Ohio State at number two, Oklahoma at number three, and Penn State is at number five. Um, So that gives you an idea of where uh, the FBI is sort of looking at things uh, heading into uh, the 2020 college football season. Uh, But again, it's February, a long way to go before games are played, and uh, we will learn a lot more about each of these teams as we go throughout the offseason, see how teams progress, uh, see how certain certain things come along uh, with, uh, you know, very important skill positions, and uh, that will tell us a lot more about these teams rather than, I think, just a an individual uh, metric uh, in February. So, uh, and then uh, with basketball, um, you know, there is a new, speaking of ESPN, a new mock draft uh, from Jonathan uh, Gavoni. Uh, he has put out uh, his newest 2020 NBA mock draft, and there are 13 SEC players uh, included. And by the way, this is on the ESPN Plus, so uh, you have to have a subscription to read the entire thing uh, to see the entire list. I will include that link uh, in the show notes. You'll be able to go straight to the article and check it out. Um, but without going through all 13 of the players, it is worth noting that uh, eight SEC players are in the top 40. Uh, no surprise at the top. Anthony Edwards is number one uh, on the board, and that is not really a shock to anyone at this point. Uh, I think you know as we look more and more at it, uh, very good chance he's going to be the number one overall pick uh, in the draft, uh, depending on how things shake out. And we always say that because you don't know exactly how the NBA standings are going to shape up. Um, you know, a different team gets put in that slot, and it completely changes maybe who gets you know drafted in that spot but right now uh anthony edwards at the top of a lot of people's boards and it's not going to be surprising uh to see him taken at number one if that's what happens of course the biggest mover and we've talked about him uh the entire college basketball season uh is isaac okoro who is up to number three yes number three uh on this uh latest mock draft and you're seeing him as, you know, one of the biggest risers of anyone, not just in the SEC. I mean, his status has certainly improved the most of any SEC player, but uh, on a national level as well. Uh, for him to be seen at this point as a potential number three pick in the NBA draft, uh, that is just something. And I think we knew he had a lot of potential going into the season. Uh, tremendous athlete, a great defender. Bruce Pearl talked about that going into the season, but he has added other elements to his game. You know, he's expanded his offensive game. He's doing a lot of different things well. And with the type of athleticism that he has, um, a lot of his game is going to translate to the NBA level. And and I, I recall on, on a quote that Bruce Pearl had, and I remember him saying this, at SEC Basketball Media Day uh, in uh, October, this was what he said. He said, you know, quote, he is the best defensive guard I have ever coached, and he can guard one through five. I've never had a player be able to do that, you know, end quote. That's what Pearl had to say, and we've seen that a lot this year, and I think that's why you see Isaac Okoro soaring up these draft boards because he is someone that appeals to a lot of different people uh, in the NBA, and he is kind of one of those guys you're going to be able to plug in and be able to use in some really, really uh, important spots in your rotation. Um, so not really a surprise to, to see Isaac Coral making his move. It may be surprising to some that he's up that high, uh, but it's clear that when you look at you know the mock drafts, not just the ESPN one, 
you look at sort of the talk uh, going on with, with NBA uh, scouts and all that, it's clear that Isaac Okoro is the real deal. Uh, he's been a big part of Auburn's success this season, and he is clearly uh, going to have you know an opportunity uh, to be picked very high in the 2020 NBA draft. Elsewhere, uh, Tyrese Maxey at Kentucky was the only other SEC player in the top 10. Uh, he is currently projected at number six uh, to Minnesota. Uh, Vanderbilt's Aaron Neesmith, number 16, and we talked about that. And if you really want to look at how much that injury impacted Vanderbilt, there's your, a better idea because, you know, again, he's projected as someone who could potentially be a top 20 pick in the draft. Uh, we knew last year that he was going to eventually be a guy that would have a chance to play at the NBA level. And, uh, you know, looking at how well he played this season, people were kind of saying, well, is there a chance that he comes back? Um, he, he's shown enough at this point to where uh, it's clear from what he showed before, you know, he got injured. Uh, NBA scouts are in love with him. They love his game and uh, potentially a top 20 pick there. Uh, Mississippi State's Robert Woodard, someone else that I think sort of been flying under the radar a bit. Uh, he's at number 24 uh, on ESPN's board here in the mock draft. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Reggie Perry, which he's further down the list. And I'll let you, uh, you know, once again, uh, be sure to uh, support them with their ESPN Plus. Uh, I'll let you kind of find where he's at. But he is much further down the list than his teammate Robert Woodard, who is at number 24, uh, someone who has a lot of versatility in his game. Um, and he could be someone that clearly, uh, you know, could potentially go in the first round. So there are some uh, quick hitter uh, news and notes. Uh, if you guys enjoy those types of things, if you would prefer you know, to have this segment uh, on a lot of our shows throughout the week, uh, just let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at the Black Level. I think it's something that allows us to sort of you know dive into some, some random things uh, in different sports uh, rather than just focusing on the sport that's in season. Uh, so if you enjoy that, if you want just some quick hitter like this, if you're not on social media, you don't see me tweeting about these things uh, and you'd rather have them in audio form, uh, let me know and we'll continue you uh, to do this type of segment here uh, to open up some of the shows uh, throughout the week. But coming up next, uh, we dive into uh, Tuesday's SEC basketball action for uh, games on the slate and uh, some of them very, very important uh, for the teams that are trying to kind of play their way into the NCAA tournament. And we'll look at that next here, right here on the Locked On SEC podcast, part of the Locked On podcast network. And we dive into Tuesday night's action in SEC basketball. We start uh, with Vanderbilt at Tennessee. Um, You know, the previous meeting, we mentioned Aaron Neesmith in the opening segment, uh, his injury. Uh, The previous meeting these two teams played, uh, remember, this was only a couple games after Neesmith's injury, and Vanderbilt was certainly still adjusting at that point uh, to try to be able to figure out what they needed to do without him on the floor and so I think you have to keep that in mind when gauging how a game like this could play out the Commodores were adjusting Uh, they scored a season low 45 points in that game just could not do anything offensively I think that was one of those games where a lot of people were watching and said man it is very possible you know that this team could potentially be in a spot where they may not hit 40 points and I think you saw those struggles in that game but they have obviously been able to figure it a lot out a lot better since then. Um, and when you look at Tennessee here, we, we keep mentioning Tennessee. Uh, the Vols are a team, despite that loss at South Carolina, they still have a schedule that could support them getting an NCAA tournament bid because of the quality win opportunities that are going to be available to them. And that's why this game turns into a must-win scenario for Tennessee, uh, is that they can't afford to lose to Vanderbilt because of how big of a hit that would be to their overall numbers, 
uh, to their metrics. Uh, you can't afford a loss like this on your resume, especially if you're a team that's trying to rally and pick up a lot more quality wins after you just had an opportunity at South Carolina um, to maybe take a step forward, not necessarily be in the tournament, but at least take a step forward and be in that conversation a little bit better. Uh, and so now this does. It becomes a must-win scenario for Tennessee uh, because their last five games, if you just look at those five games on paper, they are absolutely brutal uh, at Auburn, at Arkansas, at home against Florida, at Kentucky, at home against Auburn. Those are five very, very tough games. And quite frankly, Tennessee going 0-5 in those games uh, would not be out of the realm of possibility because that's how tough that schedule is. Uh, but if they're able to go 2-3, and 3-2, and two, and they win this game against Vanderbilt, that's where I think things start to get a little bit interesting. And of course, it always matters what everyone else on the bubble is doing around you. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything, you know, if they do go three and two or two and three. We we're not sure yet what's going to be enough to put them back into that picture. But because they have so many quality win opportunities, um, they could play way, play their way back into the mix without question. Uh, predicting this game as, you know, we continue to make our picks here for these games. And as you guys have seen, uh, if you look back at Saturday's picks, uh, they were not all great. And that's because the SEC, very unpredictable. I do think Vanderbilt will be able to find a little bit more offense uh, despite their struggles they had in Gainesville against Florida, Uh, but I think obviously it's hard to expect them to go into Knoxville and get this win, knowing that Tennessee is in that spot and Rick Barnes is going to have their attention uh, to knowing, you know, the the importance of a game like this, uh, even with a Tennessee team that doesn't have the overall experience they had last year, um, I still think they're probably going to understand what they need to do here to at least stay in the mix. So I will take uh, Tennessee 71, Vanderbilt 56. Um, You know, I just, I think the way Tennessee plays defense, they're going to be able to recall on some of the things that they did in that first game to hold Vanderbilt to 45 points. Uh, I would be surprised, you know, if Vanderbilt scores 45 points again here in terms of being that low. Uh, But I do think they'll be able to use some things that worked in that game uh, that'll help them put some pressure on on the Commodores defensively. And uh, that may make it difficult uh, for Vanderbilt to to find enough points here uh, to be able to to outduel the Tennessee team uh, that's trying to get back on track and stay in the NCAA tournament conversation. And uh, Arkansas, speaking of staying in the NCAA tournament conversation, uh, the Hogs will head to Florida uh, for a very big game, uh, certainly for Arkansas. We we know that's well documented at this point. Uh, The Hogs are on the bubble. Uh, They're not in a great spot because they're in a four-game losing streak here. They're 4-8 and in SEC play, and they have to rally uh, to be able to, to get into the mix. And you look at all the different brackets that are out there. You know, there are some brackets that think Arkansas is still among those potentially last four in, you know, first four out type of scenarios. Um, There are some that don't even think Arkansas is on the board right now in terms of even being close after that loss to Mississippi State. My guess is it's probably somewhere in the middle uh, in that Arkansas is still going to be in the conversation and certainly if they're able to go in and win this game against Florida, they immediately, you know, catapult themselves right back in there, uh, potentially even being in, uh, you know, upon some of the brackets. But that's how sort of volatile the bubble is right now. We've seen that with the other SEC teams, you know, like Alabama, Mississippi State, South Carolina, all these teams we've talked about, um, you know, and South Carolina is probably further away from that mix right now. But um, that's just kind of what we've seen. And so one win here uh, can completely sort of change, you know, how you're viewed 
from an NCAA tournament standpoint. And that's, I think, what would happen here uh, for Arkansas. Of course, the problem is that they're playing a Florida team that has been very impressive as of late. Um, you know, and you look at how the Gators are playing, and that's what's going to make this a challenge. And I put on Twitter, you know, I thought it was a very fascinating stat on Arkansas here. Uh, and I said this in the previous episode. It's not like Arkansas is just getting blown out, and the numbers support that. You look at eight of their nine losses this season are by seven points or less. Five of those are by four points or less. Three of those have come in overtime. So really, you know, a couple plays here or there in some of those games could completely change uh, how we're looking at Arkansas right now in terms of their NCAA tournament resume. If Isaiah Joe's on the floor for some of these recent games, it's the same thing. We, we could be talking about a different situation for Arkansas. And, and to be fair, as someone pointed out on Twitter, you could also say that about some of Arkansas's wins. I mean, they've had some pretty, you know, furious rallies uh, in games where they've they've made some big plays down the stretch uh, to win some of these games uh, that maybe, you know, probability-wise, you didn't think they were going to win. Uh, so it's just been one of those years where Arkansas's played so many close games and they've had so many of these, you know, some of them have gone in their favor, a lot of them have not, uh, and, and that's where they have to be able to find a way to win some of these because you figure, you know, they're still going to be playing close games. The trend seem to support that even maybe not having the depth uh, that's been the issue for them they just don't have the depth right now especially without Isaiah Joe on the floor Um, and you know but they still kept it close I mean they've still had chances to win some of these games yet it's still hard to know what to expect from them in a road game like this uh, against a Florida team that we think and I, I say that you know with hesitation still that we think is starting to figure it out um, but it's sometimes it's been like in the past, we've thought that about Florida and, you know, they turn right around and maybe come out flat and don't play very well. Uh, I, I just tend to think that the Gators, uh, maybe are turning a corner here and I just don't know with, with the depth issues, uh, this being a road game, Arkansas, just, I mean, the frustration, I think of losing that Mississippi state game. I don't think that's something that, that can be undervalued here uh, because, remember, they were an Abdul Adu tipping away from winning that game because, you know, Adu tips it in with less than a second left, just a brutal home loss uh, that the Razorbacks had. So uh, a mental type of thing, too, in play here, and that's why I think Florida probably the better pick. Uh, I will go Florida 75 Arkansas 68, um, you know, again, I, this is the SEC. Would I be surprised if Arkansas goes on the road and gets what would certainly be its biggest win of the season to this point, given the circumstances, uh, knowing what's at stake? I wouldn't be shocked uh, because we, we've seen them be in these games and have chances to make plays to win. They just haven't been able to do it uh, in some of these, and, and that could be the difference here uh, with a Florida team that's on its home court and playing pretty well uh, right now. But uh, speaking of teams that are playing pretty well, uh, two of the hottest teams in the league are going to square off in Columbia. No, we're not even talking about uh, the main event, which is going to feature uh, two teams that are still in the SEC title race. Um, we're talking about two teams that might be two of the most improved and could be two teams uh, that could be in the spoiler role. We'll talk about that game and the one that's going to factor into the SEC title race uh, coming up right here on the Locked On SEC podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And we wrap up looking at uh, the two games uh, also on Tuesday's slate. Uh, we start with Ole Miss at Missouri, and uh, we sort of teased it in that these are two of the hottest teams in the SEC right now. Uh, if you sort of put aside the fact that they're both 4-8 and eight in league play, uh, they are two teams that are hitting their stride, and we've seen that in recent games. 
we've talked about how well Ole Miss played in Kentucky and really what they've done in recent games. Of course, they had a 17-point win uh, against Florida, and they are playing with a lot of confidence. The same goes for Missouri, uh, another one of those teams that uh, you don't want to see in your tournament bracket. In the SEC tournament, um, they are just playing that well, coming off the big double-digit win against Auburn. They've played so well at home here recently, and that makes this game uh, a very fascinating one because uh, these two teams uh, have really been fun to watch here recently, and I think the matchup is a really good one because uh you know it's one of those late season type of games where there's not anything too glaring from a stat standpoint that stands out in terms of the matchup itself um you know these are two teams in some ways i think they're they're a lot alike uh in terms of some of the things that they do on both sides of the court uh they're both in the top 10 nationally in three-point field goal defense uh which could be a factor here when you consider how well missouri has seemingly shot it uh at home uh and so maybe it's a bigger strength uh for Ole miss in this trying to to contain uh Missouri who has played so much better on offense and we've talked about that that was one of the things that was sort of holding them back uh, early in SEC play and at some points you know in non-conference play um, they just they couldn't get their offense where they needed to get to but it's been there in recent games and it was even there in the game they lost at LSU Uh, and so when you have a team playing this well at home um, and you know really have played well for four straight games three straight home games um, it's just this is a team that that's sort of hard to go against right now even with Ole Miss you know being very battle tested after playing well in Lexington um, it's it's hard to pick against Missouri right now and they're a team you know coming off of that win against Auburn uh, I know sometimes we think about these types of scenarios and say okay well maybe there's the potential for a letdown here and I think that's a possibility where you come off of that really emotional you know just sort of a blowout win in a certain sense uh, against you know a top 15 team in the nation uh, and maybe there's a, a potential of, of being a letdown but I think here's what's working in Missouri's favor is knowing that they've seen this Ole Miss game at Kentucky they've seen what Ole Miss did against Florida um, you know they've seen Ole Miss be able to be right there and have a chance to you know be kind of the, the same type of team to where both of these teams could go in and we're saying hey these could be the two hottest teams in the SEC uh, the potential teams that that could be the the sleeper picks to win the SEC tournament uh, it could be one of those these two teams based on how they've been playing and so I think Missouri knowing that being able to see that tape at Kentucky and see how well they played that's going to have their attention or at least it should Um, and so I think that helps Missouri a little bit here rather than just looking at Ole Miss and saying okay well it's a four and eight team uh, as well and maybe it's one of those where we've played so well at home um, you know we're feeling pretty good about things and we feel like we're gonna have a chance to win because we did just beat Auburn Uh, I don't think you're gonna see that I think you're gonna see a team that's very focused uh, should come out uh, understanding the challenge ahead of guarding Bree and Tyree first and foremost uh, because we know what he's capable of and uh, this is just gonna be a fun game I'm really excited about this one because I really think you know there's a lot of good games on the slide certainly we talked about one a few minutes ago Uh, we're going to talk about one here in a second but man this is a this could be a really fun game based on uh, what we've seen uh, from these two teams but like I said I think it is hard to go against Missouri right now they are at home and in the SEC knowing that it's difficult to win on the road uh, but also knowing that Ole Miss has has played really well uh, at Kentucky and could follow up on that here with a little bit more confidence 
Uh, I'm still going to go, I think, with Missouri. I'll take Missouri 72, Ole Miss 70. I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, Hopefully we don't see 75 free throws again like we saw uh, in the last Missouri game. But uh, this one's a lot of fun. Definitely definitely one to watch uh, because uh, it should be one, uh, I think, for both teams. Uh, It's been been very uh, intriguing to see how they're both coming along uh, right now in mid-February. And uh, the main event, like we said, the one that I think uh, most of uh, the nation is going to have their eyes on, not just in the SEC, is Kentucky at LSU. And um, this is one that undoubtedly is going to factor into the SEC regular season title uh, race because uh, this is a big game. And it's certainly a huge game for LSU because Kentucky is the one right now that is, you know, a game ahead. They're, they're at least in a spot uh, where, you know, they can at least still be, I mean, they don't want to lose this game because uh, then we look at, you know, potentially all three of these teams uh, being tied again based on what happens uh, with Auburn's game. And so, um, you know, this is, it's a big game for both teams. There's no other way to slice it. They would both love to have, you know, a great, great win added to their resume. And uh, they would certainly like to take uh, another step forward in the uh, SEC title hunt. Uh, You know, but two teams that I think you look at it when, you know, how do they approach this game? I think that's a, this is one of those games from a coaching standpoint that I think you really have to zone in on how John Calipari approaches this and how Will Wade approaches this. Because from a matchup perspective, uh, it is a very fascinating one. Um, and, And like we said, after that Ole Miss Kentucky game, I think you saw some things in there that you're going to be able to learn from. If you're an opponent of Kentucky, you saw how Ole Miss switched up a lot of those zones and were able to cause problems in terms of forcing Kentucky to shoot a lot of threes. I think you'll probably see somewhat of a similar scenario here. I would expect to see LSU try to do some of the things, same things. They're not going to do the exact same things, um, but I think you're going to probably see it play out in that same sort of manner in terms of seeing LSU try to really, really force Kentucky to shoot shots from the perimeter, uh, whether that's by using zone, whether that's trying some other different things. Um, I think we're going to see that here because we're just we're seeing that it works. Um, and, you know, from Kentucky's standpoint, I thought this was very interesting. I Once I thought about this, I started doing a little research. I went through all of Kentucky's games, so I went game by game, and I, I did the math and averaged out all their three-point percentages, and I thought it was so interesting to look at Kentucky's three-point shooting percentages uh, at home and on the road. They are very, very different. And, and that's not something I expected when I first started looking at them uh, because, uh, it, you know, that's not something you expect. But here's kind of where Kentucky is at from that standpoint in terms of looking at their three-point shooting percentages. At home, they are 61 of 273 from three-point range for 22.3%. Away from home, they are 55 of 149 for 36.9%. So that is a drastic difference for this Kentucky team shooting from from the perimeter at home and on the road. Now, I don't know what that means in this game. Uh, it could just be one of those weird things, you know, that happens sometimes in college basketball. You just get a weird stat uh, that maybe doesn't mean a whole lot. But it is something that, to, to think about here as they go into this game, in a game where they're probably going to, you know, have their opponent force them to shoot a lot of threes. Uh, will they do that? Will they continue to attack? Uh, we'll see here. But uh, the home road splits for Kentucky's three-point shooting, 
uh, certainly uh, very interesting, uh, without a doubt. Now, something else to think about. We made a joke about the potential free throw shooting contest in Missouri and Ole Miss, uh, but these are the top two free throw shooting teams in the conference in terms of percentages. So if these two teams get there, uh, you know, they're, they're shooting it very well from there, and this could be a game uh, knowing, you know, the type of athleticism that's on the court, uh, knowing some of the attacking type of styles that we see from both of these teams, it could be a game that features a lot of free throws. Um, and that's where I think LSU needs to find some of these easy baskets or at least find some free throw opportunities on the offensive glass uh, because they're a team that can you know, rebound it well. I know Will Wade's talked about that. They need to be better at rebounding uh, than they have been, and, and that could be an area that really defines this game. Uh, and when you think about it, you know, going back to the free throw stuff, um, you know, LSU is 37th nationally in fewest fouls. So they, you know, if you look, compare their number of fouls uh, to teams nationally, uh, they're, they're doing quite well. They don't foul as much as a lot of teams do around the country. But on the other hand, Kentucky is 17th nationally in free throw attempts. So keep that in mind here. If LSU for a team that, as we've said, you know, LSU's got some guys that contribute off the bench, but this is still probably not a team that you would consider just a, you know, it's not a 10-player rotation type of team. And so if Kentucky can force foul trouble, if they can get some of these guys on the bench, you know, like an Emmett Williams or a Trenton Wofford, guys like that, that certainly gives Kentucky an advantage. And that is another thing, you know, how does LSU defend Kentucky? And I think also is can LSU kind of keep that trend going of not fouling a lot and, and not allowing Kentucky to sort of get in their wheelhouse and shoot a lot of free throws because uh, if LSU can do both of those things, I think LSU is going to win this game. Uh, that's easier said than done. Uh, this is a toss-up. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, this is one of those games where flip a coin because uh, it's two good teams playing against each other with a lot on the line here uh, in terms of of the SEC regular season championship. And in a game like that, what I usually do is I just revert to the home team uh, because we've seen it a lot in terms of home teams being able to win these types of games. Uh, So I will go LSU 79, Kentucky 78. Yes, I'm going to go with a one-point game because I think it's just it's that close. Um, Either way here, I think it's going to be certainly an entertaining game and uh, would not surprise me. If if either team wins, uh, they're both good. They both have a chance uh, to win games in March, and uh, this is one that uh, certainly uh, is going to be a very, very exciting game and one that, that I think, you know, is from a matchup perspective, uh, I just think it's, it's very interesting. Uh, it's going to be fun to see how both of those coaches uh, approach it. But uh, that'll wrap up uh, this episode of the Locked On SEC podcast. As always, be sure you're subscribed. Head over to uh, your podcast app of choice. Just search for Locked On SEC. Um, and uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. Uh, more SEC stuff uh, here on the way. And as I mentioned earlier, if you guys enjoy uh, the new stuff, the quick updates uh, for a segment, we'll continue to do that. Also, some exciting stuff uh, we're going to have on the way here on the podcast that with some new features and some new segments uh, we're going to add to the mix. So be sure you subscribe. And uh, thanks as always for listening. And I will talk to you guys next time here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.